Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Could you give some words of wisdom to close this off as Denzel Washington? Okay, okay, okay. All right. I, that, that I can do. <laughs> there are a lot of people. There are many individuals in this room, huh? but even more people at home listening. You have that voice. There's a voice in your head. There's a voice in your head that, that is just saying to you, you know what, I want what I want. Don't, don't just say what you want. Will it. Will it into existence. You breathe it into existence. You give it. You tell yourself every day that I'm going to do this. I'm not, I don't hope I'm going to do this. I am going to do this. And then you do it. You get it done, man. Because if, if, you, if, you, if you hold yourself uh, up to a task, ego is going to make you say, I got to do this. I got to accomplish it. And that's what I did to myself. I told myself, look, I went out of Denzel. I'm back in it. I lost character, but I'm back in it. Huh? Just do it. Get it done. All right. Wow. This is so weird and exciting all at once. Thank you so much for coming. I'm so, so grateful. You have no idea. Just for those of you who don't know what I do, uh, I should let you know about myself a little bit. I started as a stand-up comic a long time ago, and then I became a manager, and I started managing a bunch of people, and I was very lucky to represent people like Chappelle and Tracy Morgan and Bill Burr and Dane Cook and some of the most unbelievable artists seeing them go from like a studio apartment to household name status and through that I got to work on some great TV shows and movies but what I found was is that when I did something with my talent and their talent that it was this great feeling you'd make the call and you'd tell them they got a Netflix special or they got a television series and it was an amazing, amazing, wonderful feeling inside. But the other side of it was when I got off the phone I thought to myself, well I only got to help one person. I only did something really great with one person's talent. And so indirectly through 
an artist named Jay Moore who asked me to do his first podcast, which I said no to because I'd never done a podcast. He said, Barry, show up my garage at 7. you got to be here. I need you as a guest. I said, I've never done this before. He said, you got to do it. I did it. And unbelievably, that day, it was the number one podcast in the world. And I indirectly, through his coattails, had like over 500,000 people listen. He asked me to do a, a third one, a fifth one, a tenth one. And then he said, you got to do your own thing. And I just want to share something with all of you who are thinking about doing something different in your careers or your lives. Normally what you do is you ask somebody, you ask the people in your life who you trust, who you love. And I asked everyone I knew who I trusted, should I do the podcast? And each one of them said, no, Barry. <laughs> do not do the podcast. You know where all the bodies are buried. People are going to get upset. What happens if your podcast does better than your clients? Don't do it. And I think we always ask people their opinion because we want them to tell us something that we already know inside we're going to do. And when they don't, it doesn't make any difference anyway because we know we have to do it. So cut to six months later, I start the podcast. I do my first episode with a guy named Doug Herzog, who's the president of Viacom Entertainment. And I get a call from Jay Moore. And he says, you got to come down to the radio station. You got to see something. I said, okay, I'll come down. I come down, he opens up his computer, and it shows that the podcast was number three in the world that day when it launched. I said, that's impossible. No one knows who I am. He says, don't worry. It's going to drop like a stone. <laughs> but the fact is, people are listening, and they're looking at it, and they like it and you should be proud. And then he walked out the door, and I'm just standing there in the middle of the radio station, and I'm just stunned. I don't know what just happened. And then he comes back in, and he does this thing. You know that thing where people, they hold you by both shoulders like this, and they speak to you, they're like Canadian. They're this close to you. <laughs> and he looks at me, and he says, cats, catsy. I'm like, yeah, what's up, Jay? And then he whispered this weird way he talked, and he said, you're not supposed to do better than your fucking clients. <laughs> and then he kissed me on the back of the neck like Fredo and walked out. <laughs> but I started, and I was happy I did, and I'm proud I did because we just did our 400th episode, and it's been a really amazing ride. <laughs> Thank you. Go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best 
in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. For the audience, I want to go way, 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 way back because uh, we all start at zero, zero. Yeah, yeah. We all sometimes, some of us don't know what we want to do. Some of us do. Some of us are born into situations that we have no control over right. and they're hurtful and damaging and some are better than others. Right. So tell our audience what the socioeconomic dynamic was of your household, you know, what your parents were like, and what was your first inspiration to get into this crazy, fucked up business? Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, we don't, I don't come from tragedy. As, uh, as I, anytime people say, well, well, you had to have some, I was like, nah, we actually had a, a pretty cool household. My parents, um, my dad worked for uh, Department of Corrections. Um, for you know, thirty-five some odd years. Uh, my mother, she started out. She was the uh, copy editor, copy chief at Cosmopolitan magazine. She was a model back in the days. Um, she actually had an Essence cover with this very hair. Uh, <laughs> shout out to moms. Um, you know, older brother, younger sister, and I was always I was the kid that you know uh, played with his Star Wars figures in the corner. I you know and was always making noises. I think the first impression I probably did was uh, was Bugs Bunny because it was a cartoon, and and I realized you know doing these uh these characters and impressions around my friends made them laugh, and so I was like, oh okay, so I'll, I'll mimic them. And then when Eddie Murphy popped, um, it was it was September. I want to say September tenth, nineteen eighty three. I saw Eddie Murphy Delirious, uh, which was which was for me was uh there was an epiphany. Like I I, I sat transfixed on that shaggy blue rug in our den. And after the show was over, I ran in my parents' room. I was like, I know, I know what I'm gonna be. I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be just like Eddie. And they were like, you need to get a job, you know? <laughs> and, and, uh, and then my family, fortunately, my family encouraged me. I, was, I, I lucked out and had a family that said, you know what? He already talks himself anyway. He's not getting in trouble. Um, let him sit in the corner and listen to those those Richard Pryor and Bill Cosby albums. And I think the first album I ever bought was Eddie Murphy's first album with the with the rose in his hair. And I, and and he was saying very outlandish things. But my family was like, well, you know what? Words don't hurt. So he's and as long as you, you're not going to come in our house saying those words, um, they they just allowed me to sort of grow and 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 in the in the eighties. You know, with VCRs and Annie Evening at the Improv, I recorded. I still have like catalogs of videotapes of comics before they were, you know, big stars from Keenan Ivory Wayans to Jim Carrey and uh, uh, Seinfeld. I used to tape Arsenio all the time. And, I, I, and that was sort of my, my, I would just study these comics and every kind of Ellie DeGeneres. And, and uh, then my first time on stage, I was uh, was in college in 1992, February 22nd, 1992. It was a week before Def Comedy Jam premiered, and uh, I was doing um, I was doing the play Fences. I was doing August Wilson's Fences um, at my college, and two nights before our school had what's called Apollo Night, it was a talent showcase. Um, I stumbled into rehearsals for the show. Wound up on stage, started roasting and snapping on people, and a friend said, "You should get in. The, you should get in the show." 
Um, I said, it's in 48 hours. He said, so you're funny. I was like, yeah, I'm funny. So, <laughs> so I just went into all those old notebooks and found every joke that I could figure out. Um, and for the next, I was telemarketing at Sears at the time. So for the next you know, two days, I was, my friends were like, what the hell are you doing? Because I was like in the back, you just heard noises emanating from me. And then the night of the show, Gave him my camcorder. I said, tape anything that looks interesting. And I wound up coming in second place in that contest. And, and yeah, yeah, man, that was, uh, and, and I've been chasing that high for years. Cause that, cause that first time on stage is exciting. You're like, oh, I like this. I need more of it. And, and every time you get on stage, you're like, it was good, but it wasn't that first time, you know? Tell our audience your biggest hell gig, the worst. Mm gig you ever did in your entire life oh, man. the holy shit i can't believe how much this sucks gig you know if you if you came up doing both the mainstream and the black circuit that was every tuesday no um <laughs> no because there were a lot of the 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 thing with doing the urban circuit was on any given night someone what happened in the mid 90s was since, since the uh, prevalence of Deaf Comedy Jam, a lot of comics figured out, a lot of black comics and Latino comics figured out, oh, you know what, I can go to a sports bar that doesn't do a lot of business on a Tuesday night, and I can say to them, listen, I can, I can get you comics that have been on Deaf Comedy Jam and BT Comic View and Saturday Night Live, and you were like, can you get people from Saturday Night Live? You know, and, and, and if, you, if you give me a budget of a couple hundred dollars, I'll make sure, give me the door, you get the drinks. And so you were doing, I was doing shows in East New York, Brooklyn, pre-gentrification Brooklyn, where it was like, <laughs> it was rough. And like I, myself, like Leslie Jones, Todd Land, Mark Theobald, we would go and do these, these sort of hell gigs. But that's what made you stronger because uh, you learned how to get to the joke quickly. You had to, because in a, in a black audience, you have to get to them immediately versus a mainstream audience where you get to sort of offer exposition and explain, you know, if you're in a room with a bunch of thugs and they sit looking at you like, what you doing, you know? <laughs> you gotta jump on them immediately. And so, I'd say, you know what, there was a place in, in, uh, in New Jersey called the Peppermint Lounge that they used to showcase uh, comics for Deaf Comedy Jam. That's, that was sort of the rite of passage before. If you, if you did well there, the booking agent, uh, Bob Sumner, who booked, uh, the talent agent that booked uh, Deaf Comedy Jam, He'd see you there, and then he'd pass you, and you'd get on Def Jam. And I did it, I think, five times in my life, and I did well two and a half times. Uh, the other two and a half times were a problem because, <laughs> because when you get booed, booing is fine, but when you just have people staring, like silence is painful, man. Silence, when people, like, this is fun because there's no pressure. I'm just talking. But like, if if all of you just were like staring at me and I was on stage performing and nothing, not even like, <laughs> and the crickets stop, your you your your voice gets a little little drier and suddenly, now you're now you're uh the roof of your mouth is sticking to your tongue and it's painful because people are, when someone yells out you corny, there's no. S <laughs> there's no way to save yourself from corny because. That's hitting your soul. That's getting to your soul. You corny. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not corny. You know. So I'd say probably the Peppermint Lounge was probably some of the some of the worst shows I, I'd ever had, man. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. 
whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Six degrees of separation. All right, six degrees of separation. I'm yeah. going to mention some names. Okay. Tell me what comes to mind. Okay. All right. The late Bernie Mac. Ah, uh, the Mac, the Mac man. Bernie Mac was an amazing, uh, his, his, he's the one and only. Uh, Bernie was dope because I met Bernie Mac in, I want to say, 93, uh, early 93. Def Comedy Jam had now been on for about a year. Bernie, um, he had blown up in the urban world. He was, he was selling out, you know, theaters, doing like 3,000 seat theaters. And uh, a buddy of mine was opening for him. Uh, upstate, up in Rochester. I went to school at RIT upstate. So um, I'm backstage. Bernie's, Ber I see Bernie. I don't know what to, you know, you never know what to say to someone. And I'm from New York, so I'm like, I ain't sweating nobody. I'm like, but that is Bernie Mac. So I'm like, so I he, I see him. I'm like, hey, uh, Bernie, man, you you there, man. I'm going to be there one day. And, you know, I'm a comedian too. And he was like, you already there. You here, ain't you? I said, yes. <laughs> He's like, then you hear that? You, there's room at the cross. I have no idea to this day what this room at the cross means. But that was a Bernie Mac line. There's room at the cross. I'll tell it like a T.I. is. Fast forward, fast forward to uh, about a decade later, 2003, and the film Head of State is coming out, and Bernie is, uh, is one of our guest hosts um, on SNL, and uh, I'm actually getting misty-eyed because he was such a... He was a good dude, man. He was a uh, Bernie was dope because I when people ask people always ask me who was your favorite host, I said, you know what, I have my top five, and Bernie is definitely one of them because the classiest dude I ever met in uh, in in the realm of Hollywood. When um when guest hosts would come to Saturday Night Live, uh, they usually would sit the the desk I told you in Lauren's office. We would all crowd in, all of the writers all of the cast members, and then a handful of people from like makeup department, music department. So there were a good 50 plus people cramped into this office. Um, usually the guest host, if, if Lauren sat here and this is his desk, the guest host would sit right in front of his desk. Only three people um, stood at the door and introduced them. Two of them were heads of state. Uh, Senator John McCain came and hosted, and every person that walked, hey, I'm, I'm John McCain, he shook their hands. Al Gore stood at the door, uh, hello, my name is Al, you know, and, and he shook everyone's hand. And Bernie Mac, he stood at the door, he's like, hey, how you doing, I'm Bernie, my name's Bernie, I'm the Mac. And, and I just, for me, I was like, this dude, 
doesn't have to do that, but he did, and it showed just how classy and 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 humble and down to earth he was. So when uh, after we we all crowd into the office to pitch the host, they then are brought around to everyone's office and you get to sort of share your ideas that you might want to write with them. And I was able to say to Bernie, he was there with um, a, a talented uh, writer, comic, producer, Ali Leroy. Ali Leroy, who, uh, who if any of you watched uh, Chris Rock's old show, he was the dude who was like, Chris, come on, Chris, 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 come on. And, uh, and he wrote on Head of State with uh, Rock, so he came in to co-write with Bernie. And um, they sat on my uh, on, on the couch in my office with uh, Fred Armisen and uh, Max Brooks, who's a talented author, wrote World War Z. And I got to say to him, I said, "Hey, Bernie, I said, listen, I know, I know you don't remember this moment, but I want to, I want to thank you for encouraging me because I met you about a decade ago, and you were just, you didn't have, you didn't have to." Uh, offer me any any words of wisdom or words of advice, and I just want to say thanks because you took a moment out of. I know you were preparing for your show, and from that moment on, we were we were cool in the gang, man. He was cool throughout the week. We just he 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 was an amazing impressionist. He uh, we did a sketch that got cut from the show, but he was doing a he did a brilliant Sydney Portier uh, to my Denzel, and we did like a BT Oscar talk, which uh, which was funny, and it got cut for time. And then fast forward a year and a half later when uh, he was working on his show on Fox and, um, and his, uh, his assistant, Nefertari, she always was like, Dean, you should come up to, should come up to the show. Because Bernie and his manager, Steve Greener, they, they were like, man, we got something for you. I was like, yeah, I want to I wanna get it on my own, right? And so I finally said, I'll go up to the, the series uh, finale rap party and as soon, as soon as I walked in, he was in his dressing room. I walked, stuck my head. He was like, yo, what's up, man? And it just, you would have thought we were hanging out the day before. He's just the classiest dude, man. Awesome. Spike Lee. Spike Lee. Uh, well, Spike, Spike, is, uh, Spike is a special guy. Now, Spike, um, work, I worked with Spike Lee on, uh, I actually did like a couple of industrial commercials with Spike. And then... Uh, I had the ADR for um, for Kings of Comedy of all things. I had to. They needed ADRing is I, I forgot what the acronym is, but it's when after they shoot a film, they then have to fill in. You know, like if like I've ADR'd for Eddie Murphy for for Shrek. Like I'm I'm Eddie Murphy's stunt double for all things Donkey, right? And and if it, if in uh if in Shrek four, uh, Donkey was like, well, Shrek, I'm not sure if you really said that. But they didn't get a crisp reading of Eddie. They then have to bring someone like me in to to match the exact timing of how he said that. So I had to do that with uh with Spike on Kings of Comedy. And Spike, man, I mean, he's he's a he's a cinematic master, man. Just watching him work, and and uh, I have friends that have worked on his films together. He's a uh, I I love Spike because I love that he reps Brooklyn to the fullest. You know, he he like holds down the borough and 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 still has space. Um, you know, uh, uh, 40 Acres and Mule in Brooklyn. He always does the, the celebration of Michael Jackson once a year and do the right thing way. You know, so Spike is awesome. Awesome. Chris Rock. Chris Rock. Let me tell you something, man. Chris, before I... Here's what's funny. Once you get on SNL, you become part of the fraternity, right? Um, because prior to SNL, you know, I'd seen Chris. I don't know if he knew me. Um, didn't expect him to know me. But then once I got on SNL, it's like it's a rite of passage. So now when, you know, depending on the guest musical artist, sometimes, you know, former cast members that lived in New York City would come and hang out just to watch a free concert. 
and Rock came up a couple of times. I remember um, they they actually because of my hair, they were like. We, we need a black uh, hairstylist, right? We, we can't outsource, we need to find. So they hired a, a black hairstylist and black makeup artist. And my, uh, Tisa, my friend Tisa, she was my makeup artist. And she said, yeah, I was talking to Chris Rock. And he was like, yo, so what do you do here? And she was like, I'm, uh, I'm Dean's makeup. Oh, word? Oh, they got a black, black makeup artist, huh? He was, she was like, yeah, he was like, yeah, they ain't had that when I was here. <laughs> <laughs> you ever see how my hair looked when I was on the show? <laughs> you know? And then uh, I remember Chris, you know, people always had their lessons. And because I was a stand-up, I always dug that stand-ups always gave me words of wisdom with regards to working on SNL. Stand-ups that had done the show from, uh, from Colin Quinn, Chris Rock, uh, 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 Adam Sandler all said the same thing. Write two sketches and an update every week. You got, got to write two sketches and an update every week. So Rock, uh, one time, he walks in. It was right after Jack Black had been on the show. And he walks in, he's like, it was, and Tracy is sitting at the Comedy Cellar. We're sitting at the olive, uh, olive tree above the Comedy Cellar, the restaurant. And we're all just kicking it, me, Tracy, and a couple other comics. And then Rock walks in, yo, I never watched that show. The one time I watched, they still don't use black people, right? So, uh, so you know, I'm, it's like playing for the Knicks. You got to stop for your team, right? So I'm like, eh, Chris, I actually, I was, in, I was in two or three sketches this weekend. He was like, you weren't in them. You were just there. <laughs> it doesn't count that you played a cop. Cop number two don't count. And then his lesson, and then he just sat for like 30, 40 minutes. He held court and it just, and it was dope. It was just me and Chris Rock having this conversation. He was like, listen, man. He was like, you need to fight because you're talented. He said, people without talented, people without talent, are happy when someone just throws them a crumb. He's like, you're talented, so don't just settle for crumbs. And then, this was the funniest thing, and then after about 20 minutes of it, Tracy's sitting at another table, he's like, he's like, you could have given me that advice, Chris. <laughs> I've been on this show for, for five years, you ain't never spoken to me, and Chris looked at him and he's like, yeah, so anyway, you know, so <laughs> it was just a funny moment, man, that was funny. <laughs> awesome. Tracy Morgan. Tracy Morgan, let me tell you something. Tracy, everybody has their Tracy Morgan story. Um, Tracy wasn't too happy about me doing an impression of him um, when he first found out. Here's what's funny with Tracy. Um, I, while I was on the show, especially when I first got on this show um, on SNL, I would, I would, we would have the pitch meeting, then a lot of the writers and cast members would go out and have drinks. I don't drink, and that was never my scene. So I was like, in my mind, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go work on some ideas that I'll maybe write and see if I can. I, I just wanted to maximize my opportunity. So I'd go to Boston Comedy Club on Monday night, and I would talk about my experience on the show. And I, and I was doing impressions of everyone from, from, uh, from Will Ferrell. I was doing Will because I thought he was just so happy. And, uh, and I was also doing Tracy on the, on the show. So I show up uh, one afternoon for work, I get to, cause we write on Tuesday night. So I'm, I get in like 12, 31 o'clock and a buddy of mine, very funny comic, Harris Stanton. Harris calls and he's like, he's like, yo Dean, man, uh, I, I think I might've messed up. I said, what's wrong? He's like, yo, I told Tracy you did an impression of him and he got pissed. I said, what do you mean? I said, why'd you do that? You know? He was like, oh, no, I was just saying you were messing around. So he's like, so I just want to let you, give you a heads up. So that, that evening when Tracy shows up, I'm in my office. Tracy comes, he's like, talk to you for a second, and he walks away. 
And so now I'm like, oh, I guess I gotta follow him. So I follow him to his office. As I get to the doorway, he's like, you don't need to come in, stay right there. I said, what's up? He's like, I'm hearing you doing me on stage. I said, oh. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, man. I was just, I was doing Will. I was talking, I was doing Jeff. I was a, he's like, why are you doing me? I said, oh, no, I'm just, I said, I'm not like, I'm, it's not clowning you. I'm just, you know, talking about my experience. He's like, you know, I mean, you, you didn't do me in, in the audition. Do Denzel Washington. Do Michael Jackson. Why are you doing me? I said, no, nah, I mean, he was like, I'm not celebrity. Jimmy Fallon is celebrity. Jimmy walks out outside, little girls chase him. I go outside, cops are on horseback behind me. <laughs> Why are you doing me? So he's berating me for like five, 10 minutes. And I'm finally like, man, it's no big deal. I don't gotta do you. He's like, yeah, don't do me no more. So I'm like, all right, as I go to walk away, he's like, his wife at the time, God bless you, passed uh, Sabina. He's like, Sabina's mad at you. I said, what? My wife is mad at you. I said, why is she mad? Cause she heard you're doing me. I said, who told her? He said, I told her. <laughs> so later on, maybe a year later, maybe not even a year later, I, I think I told Jeff Richards, who, who played Drunk Girl on the show, and he wound up telling uh, a couple of other people. And next thing I know, I'm in my dressing room, and Seth Meyers and I shared a dressing room, and now I'm getting like Amy Poehler. She's like, Dean, you do Tracy? I'm like, yeah, but... But he don't really, let me hear something. I'm like, I don't know what you want me to say. You trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> and then the word spreads. And, and then Tina Fey, she asked me. So I tell her this, I tell everybody's story. So fast forward five years later, I'm, uh, I'm dropping my, my, my uh, daughters off at, at school in, uh, in, in um, Brooklyn Heights. And I get a phone call um, and I recognize the 212 and the exchange from 30 Rock. So I answer, I'm like, hello? Hey, Dean, uh, it's Tina Fey. I said, Tina, yo, what's up? What's up? And this is right, I think this is season one of, uh, of 30 Rock. I'm like, yo, Tina, what's up? And in my mind, I'm like, I'm about to get a job, <laughs> right? So I'm like, what's up? She's like, Dean, remember that story you told me about Tracy getting married? I was like, yeah. She's like, I have the Robert Carlock and, and the writers. Can you tell? So I tell the story, and they're laughing, and then uh, they're like, yeah, you know, we, we wrote an episode based around that. I'm like, okay, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm like, okay, and she's like, yeah, and Ronnie, I forgot Ron, the, the, uh, Ronnie something, he used to play in the early seasons of 30 Rock, there was a Jimmy Fallon-esque character played by a talented actor, Ronnie, I can't think of his last name. So what they did, they had Ronnie uh, doing an impression of Tracy Jordan, um, Tracy's character on the show, and Tracy getting mad that Ronnie was doing this character. The problem was, Ronnie couldn't do a good impression of Tracy, so going back to the ADR, and they, were, they called me because they wanted me to come in to ADR and loop Tracy's voice over Ronnie's voice doing an impression of Tracy. So, so I still get those checks, those, those residuals. Because <laughs> I wasn't an asshole. <laughs> Last three questions. Yeah. Your proudest moment in show business. Proudest moment, probably... Um, Probably SNL because of, you just heard the story, because of everything I went through to get it. So um, getting the job, not a particular episode. Um, yeah, getting the job was really the coup de grace. But my, my favorite moment um, on SNL would have, have to be my, uh, my first um, actual piece making it to air. Because oftentimes you would write things and they would get cut for time or what have you. And the first thing I ever got on was... Uh, 
um, you know, as you work on the show, you start, you learn to play to your strengths. And so uh, I said, you know what? Okay, I'm a black cat, and so I have a perspective that uh, the other 15 cast members don't have. So how can I, how can I make that translate for the show's audience? So right, the night of. Um, the the night the 2002 Oscars when Denzel Washington won and Halle Berry won and I think Whoopi Gold it was the the night where we were like okay we get it Academy you want to prove a point that <laughs> black people count too right and so the I was doing I was doing SUNY Delhi I was doing a school upstate because uh, it was a week we had off and I watched it and and. Halle Berry thank, was thanking. She's like, I want to thank my mom and, and strong black women. Like, and so I just, I said, I, in my mind, I said, what if she just started thanking every black actress ever? So it was like the Pine Soul Woman and, <laughs> and Wheezy Jefferson and Florida Evans from Good Times. And so I just started, I jotted down a sketch. Then I went to my boy Mark Theobald, who's, who was uh, also a talented writer. And, and he and I ironed it out. And then I said, you know, instead of me just submitting the sketch, let me see if I can win favor with Tina Fey and get her on board with it. So I went and pitched the idea to her. And as I pitched it to her, she started throwing out black. She was like, oh, and how about this woman, this woman? And so now I'm like, okay, she, if I have her name as, as one of the writers on the sketch and we do it during Weekend Update, it's gotta make it. And it did, and it crushed, and I was like, Finally, I got to to the weekend update, man. Cause it was a, it was a journey. So that was that was uh that was my pride. And then I, a side note, I my my second TV appearance, cause they you know what it is, they're all big big deals, you know. And so I don't I don't like it's like doing Def Comedy Jam. That was my first TV show. That was amazing. Doing Showtime at the Apollo was amazing because it was my second TV show. But I had to follow. It was right after Notorious B.I.G. had had died. And I was, I was doing an impression of Biggie in my act. And I remember a couple of comics saying, dude, you sure you want to do that? Because people are still, still kind of sensitive. But I wasn't doing anything from a malicious position. I was like, it's coming from a place of love because I love, love Biggie and love his music. And so when I'm taping the show, I had to, I had to follow uh, LL Cool J, Method Man, Red Man, and DMX, DMX had just come out, and he, and so they went on stage before me because when 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 they air an episode, it's not necessarily how it was taped. So they taped their set doing that song four three two one, and everyone backstage is looking at me like, dude, uh, you uh, you're gonna be okay. But in my, but once again, I was you know I was, I was like nah son, I'm 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 hyped now you know because I'm a hip hop head, and I said I said you know what I'm just gonna piggyback off of their their energy since I'm talking about hip hop, and that helped me segue right into the Biggie joke, and I crushed it. So that's that's probably yeah yeah. Well the B B B I G P O P P A Brooklyn, we did it, we did it, Brooklyn. Oh. <laughs> Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. Biggest disappointment? Uh, you know what's disappointing? The, uh, for those that don't know, Barry, Barry also represents me, so that's why it was easy for me to come do this. Um, <laughs> surprise, no. But um, the bit, one of my biggest disappointments was the was the um, the the Dean Pops project because we had a uh, I had a um, I had a I had a project that 
I had, uh, prior to getting guy code, I just, you know, sometimes it's best just to get up and do your own thing. So I had, I had shot a, what's called a sizzle reel, which is sort of like a preview idea of what a full show will be. When you create your own idea, you can shoot your own stuff and you can put it together and you can either be the man or work for the man. And right. guy code, you work for the man. Right. You're a big star. You're on it. Everybody sees you. Millions of people. Right. And you should tell the audience what a show like Guy Code pays per episode. Oh, yeah. Guy Code. <laughs> Guy Code. You're not getting rich over Guy Code. <laughs> um, yeah. Guy Code, I think. And I think I was probably on the higher end because I had had credit. So I think I might have made maybe $1,200 per episode. 1200 yeah. an episode. Yeah. 1200 But But... But but here's what's funny. I I don't think I think that's also why I got released um, by season three because they were like, well, we can probably get newer comics um, for four hundred. Right, episodes. right. Um, and so you so things like that frustrate. But prior to Guy Code, I had shot a show that I called Video oh, Video Knows. It was like just a, a goof on all types of videos, from viral clips to I I love music, and so I said, there's something. There's something in that space, uh, and and I was uh I was going for like sort of a a toss point oh vibe, um with the clips and everything, and, and so I self self finance. I called in a bunch of favors. We shot it. We pitched it to a bunch of networks. Fuse TV actually said yes, and uh and then we couldn't get get them on the phone for like a week, and then finally my agent found out. He said, yeah, they just got a new president who wiped the entire development slate clean. So I was frustrated. Then Guy Code happened. Then after Guy Code, I got a TV show on uh, on TV One um, called uh, Videos, and they just they offered me a gig that was paying a decent amount, so I took it. Um, Guy Code ended, uh, Videos ended, and then fast forward um, maybe three years ago, I still had this idea, so I pitched it to um, I pay, the people said, you know where you made the mistake. Instead of going directly to networks, you should partner with a production company. So he set up a, Barry sets up a bunch of meetings with different uh, production companies. Um, I meet with one, uh, Silent Crow Arts, which is in Lower Manhattan. Um, I click with them. They had a show that they wanted to do, um, so I said, I just I'll, I'll do your show. So we did a show. Um, they they went to pitch it. I think they pitched it to a couple of networks, and True TV was one of the networks. True didn't like that show, but they liked me. So they said, "Do you have anything else um, with Dean?" So they were like, uh, "Well, uh, yeah, uh, this show." <laughs> and so we reworked the the idea, and True TV said, "You know what? We like Dean, and we like the idea. Here's like." $25,000 to shoot um, shoot a sizzle reel. I was like, all right, cool. I always believe you want to pull in as many of your friends that are qualified. Pull in your qualified friends. Don't just look out for your friends just because they're your friends. So I pulled in a couple of my friends that were qualified, um, my, uh, and, and we, we wrote, um, wrote the show. Uh, we shot it. And um, it was it was called uh, it was called Dean Pop's Culture, right? Or it's called Dean Pop Dean Pop's Culture. Um, we spent the majority of the money on uh, on a on a stage, a, a studio, because um, studios in New York City are super expensive. So I, I made no money off of this. Actually, my friend who I brought in to write, he made more money off of my project than I did. But I believed in the project that much. We 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 uh, gave them the finished finished edit a week early. Um, and then fast forward, the upfronts were happening. We waited until after the upfronts, and then we got the notes back from the network saying they loved everything about the show, 
but we don't like that it was shot in a, in a, in a studio. And we're like, you could have told us that $20,000 ago. Right? <laughs> and, and so, and the show, the show, so the show's been sitting on the shelf, but it was a great, it was a great, uh, great project, great sizzle. So that, that was probably my biggest uh, disappointment. But, it, but that just motivated me, all right, I gotta create something else. And so you, you heard me and Mark, we, uh, my buddy Mark and I, we, we have something else we're cooking up right now. So. That's right. Last question. What advice do you have for the young person growing up in the neighborhood watching Eddie Murphy videos, maybe going to the military, <laughs> not knowing what he wants to do, but seeing those videos saying, God, I got to do this. What advice do you have for a young artist to have the unbelievable kind of successes and career that you've had? Just just, just do it, man. Just get on stage. You know, I, 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 you've heard me say, I'm not big on advice because what worked for me might not work for the next cat. But I just believe if you want something, just just do it. I don't, you know, I'm very Yoda. Don't try, just do, just do it. Whether whatever your endeavor is, just just get out there. If you want to be a stand-up, get on stage. You want to be a, a, a songwriter, write a song. You know, and, just, and and then write another song. You want to be a screenwriter, write a screenplay. You finish writing that screenplay, write another. You just you keep putting, you keep creating because you were blessed with the gift to create. So continue to create because eventually something will stick. You know. Could you give some words of wisdom to close this off as Denzel Washington? Okay, okay, okay. All right, I, that, that I can do. <laughs> uh, number one, keep an, keep an ear and eye out for, for a new podcast or a new network launching the Digital Podcast Network. I have a new show called The Dean Edwards Show. Uh, it's a great podcast. It'll be releasing hopefully before the end of the year. Um, uh, and, you know, advice, uh, you know, I, I'm going to say this. You know, uh, you know there are a lot. There are a lot of people. There are many individuals in this room, huh? But even more people at home listening. You have that voice. There's a voice in your head. There's a voice in your head that that is saying to you, you know what? I want what I want. Don't don't just say what you want. Will it? Will it into existence? You breathe it into existence. You give it. You tell yourself every day that I'm going to do this. I'm not. I don't hope I'm going to do this. I am going to do this. And then you do it. You get it done, man. Because if if you if you if you hold yourself uh, up to a task, ego is going to make you say, I got to do this. I got to accomplish it. And that's what I did to myself. I told myself, look, I went out of Denzel. I'm back in it. I lost character, but I'm back in it. Huh? Just do it. Get it done. Ladies and gentlemen, Dean Edwards. Thank you so much, Nick Lytle, for opening up. I really appreciate you coming out for the New York Comedy Festival. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, one more time, guys, for Barry Katz and Dean Edwards. We'll be outside by the bar. Come say hi, take pictures, meet everybody. Thank you so much for coming. Give yourselves a huge, huge, huge round of applause. It means the world. Thank you so much. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message, and one of these people will be a lucky winner, and they'll get to attend 
a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on JG17X, April 3rd, 2019. The heading reads, Perfect Podcast, five stars, and the comment they wrote was, Couldn't be any better. Thank you very much, JG17X. You are a winner. As you know, I was fortunate enough to do a documentary surrounding the only living person to ever admit to killing JFK from the grassy knoll. This is a guy who spent 50 years in prison, just got out, and we have exclusive footage of his interview and over 20 different interviews, along with interviews with five of the greatest JFK assassination experts in the world. Once you watch these videos, your perception of the world and what happened that day will change forever. It's incredible. Just go to ikilljfk.com. You can pick up the documentary I Killed JFK and the rare interviews of five of the greatest JFK assassination experts in the world. I guarantee you, once you watch this footage, you will be blown away. To quote one of the experts in the film, when Trump said he wanted to drain the swamp, what do you think's at the bottom of the swamp? ikilljfk.com. Check it out. And here's a preview of the next very special episode. Judy Carter. Take that material, it's the raw sewage of your life, and look for the funny. Look for the funny. It's always there. There's nothing so painful, so horrible, that you can't find a way to turn it. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money, drive that fancy car. All the people love you, cause you're going for life is for the dreamers they have all to gain it's never quite over so it all feels the same you pick your own poison dig your own grave down in the valley a fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.